So as I mentioned uh, last week, the book of Jonah is about far more than just a man and a great fish. Most people know the story of Jonah because of the extraordinary event where a fish, a whale, whatever it may be, swallows Jonah. And this, yes, is interesting and it makes for good children's stories. It's hard to find a, a kid's book on the Bible that doesn't include the story of Jonah. But the book is much deeper than that. And we'll see this week that what God has to teach us is really a matter of life and death for us. See, the author poses for us a very serious dilemma that each one of us here faces in our lives. See, Jonah has disobeyed God. We have all disobeyed God. And now Jonah is left with, with really one of two decisions. He either repents of his sin or he dies for his sin. He either turns from his idolatry or he will perish with the idols that he worships. There are only two options. See, there's no running away from your sin. There's no avoiding your sin. There's no hoping that time or distance will separate you from your sin. There's no amount of good that can be done to remove your sin. There's only two options. You repent or you die. And it sounds harsh, but it's true. Jesus says in Luke 13, verse 3, but unless you repent, you too will perish. And so today's sermon is a matter of life and death. Now normally, like all proper preachers, I'll have a three-point sermon and it's easy to take notes and, and follow along and everybody's happy. But this morning, we're going to walk through God's Word verse by verse and make some observations and applications as we go through. And one thing to keep in mind is that Jonah is a story. Jonah's, the, the book of Jonah, as I talked about last week, focuses more on the person rather than the message of Jonah. And so it's a story and it needs to be read and studied like a story if we are to get the most out of it. And so as I'm, as I'm reading, I'm about to read the passage, I want you to kind of imagine yourself there. Imagine that you are a part of the story. Maybe you're one of the sailors looking on as all of these things are happening so you can better understand uh, the severity and uh, the, the dilemma that these people have found themselves in. So if you're not already there, Jonah 1 is going to be our passage. We looked at verses 1 to 3. We're going to look at uh, 3 to 16 this morning. I'll read God's word for us. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. And so the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. 
And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. And then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, that the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as, as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is the word of the Lord. So to give you a bit of a recap of what has happened so far, we saw last week that, that Jonah has been called by God to go and preach to the Ninevites. And as we know, the relationship between uh, Assyria, so Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, the relationship between the Assyrians and, and the Israelites was not a very good one. Uh, the Assyrians have, for the most part, exercised dominance over the nation of Israel, forcing them to pay taxes and, and tributes to them. And so Jonah, an Israelite, uh, wishes that God would uh, see the idolatry of Assyria, that he would see their evil, see their wickedness, and destroy them immediately. So then when God calls Jonah to go and take the gospel, or, or the, a message of repentance to Nineveh, he doesn't really want any part of it. He wants Nineveh to be destroyed, not saved. Well, Jonah uh, eventually thinks to himself, okay, since these people don't deserve this, I'm going to go and I'm going to do my own thing. And now Jonah's a little bit right there. He says, the Ninevites don't deserve this message. Uh, and it's true, no one deserves a chance at salvation, yet God is gracious. And he gives second chances to those who don't deserve it. And it's ironic because that's the exact thing that God is going to do to Jonah. Jonah doesn't think people deserve second chances, but he gets a second chance and he's very thankful for it. And so then Jonah, instead of obeying the call of the Lord on his life to bring this message, he, he takes off for Tarshish. He's supposed to go east. Instead, he, he goes directly west in disobedience to the Lord. And this is where we pick up uh, our story this morning and where we'll look today. Last week, I had mentioned that one of the major themes of the book of, of Jonah is irony. How the author will use irony to point out uh, the foolishness of, of, of our lives without God, essentially. Uh, and we see this in, in the very first verse of our passage. So you look down at verse 3. The second half says, He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. 
So he paid the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now he goes to this place called Joppa. And so Joppa was a a shipping city on the Palestinian coast where uh, much of the goods that was coming in or out of Israel and the surrounding nations, it would come to this port in Joppa. And what's ironic about this is that Jonah is trying to flee from the Gentiles because he, uh, he hates the Gentiles, especially he hates the Assyrians. And yet, in order to do so, he needs to enlist the help of the Gentiles. So he wants to flee from them, but in order to do that, uh, he needs their help. So he gets stuck now on a boat with a bunch of Gentiles that he's trying to flee from. But even more ironic than that uh, is why Jonah is leaving. So if you look at uh, what, what verse 3 says, it says it twice in verse 3 and then again later in verse 10. It says, he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Now, I'm not exactly sure what Jonah is, is thinking here. And I'm not actually, I, I don't think he actually uh, is thinking right himself because later on, down in verse 9, uh, when the people ask him who he is, who he worships, what does he say? He says, I fear the God of heaven who is Lord over the sea and the dry land. And so Jonah thinks for some reason that he can flee from the presence of God, yet later he admits you can't flee from the presence of God because God is the king and the Lord of both the sea and the dry land. And so Jonah knows better. He's trying to run, but he knows that he can't run from God, uh, yet he still pursues this avenue. You see, that's one of the problems with sin. Sin is irrational. You know, if we, if we stand back and objectively look at our sin and the decisions that we're making, we see that it's often very foolish. You know, we can say, God, I, I believe that you are going to provide uh, all that I need. But then we'll go and, and engage in, in dirty financial practices or we'll steal or we'll, you know, we'll find any way possible to get out of paying our taxes. Or we can say, you know, marriage is, is this great gift from God. It's, it's meant for, for man and woman to flourish in. But then we go and we forsake our marriage or our vows. And we, we pursue lusting after others rather than being faithful to our spouse. We can say that God is a God who forgives us and he is gracious and abounding in steadfast love. But then when someone sins against us, we don't show them forgiveness. You see, sin is irrational. It's irrational. And if we step back and look at it, we'll see, really, it's foolishness, the sin that we are pursuing. It's something we see in Jonah's life and something we can all see in our own lives. And so Jonah tries to flee from the presence of the Lord. But we see that in the very next verse, God has different plans. Verse 4 says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. See, there is no fleeing from the presence of the Lord. I think Jonah was thinking that if he, if he got out of the land of Israel, uh, that God only calls prophets from the land of of Israel, therefore, if he's not in Israel, God's not going to call him again. But you can't outrun God. As David says in Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. There's no place that we can run from God. And specifically, 
You see, in our passage, there's no place that you can run from the wrath of God against your sin. Here we're seeing that God's wrath is really being poured out on Jonah. The verse says that God hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. See, sin has storms attached to it. Sin has, has troubles that come with it. Proverbs 16.25 says that the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Then he says, be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Or perhaps one of the favorite verses of parents, Numbers, 23, Numbers 32 verse 23, your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. You see, our sin will catch up to us. There, there are consequences to our sin, and we often think, yeah, okay, there's, there's future consequences, but there are, there are consequences in the here and now for our sin. Sin comes with storms attached to it. And Jonah sees this firsthand with the mighty storm now that God is bringing upon him because of his disobedience. Now, I know that we have a few fishermen here uh, in the building, and I'm not sure if any of you have ever been in on a boat during a storm. No, Hannah and I, one time, uh, it was on our honeymoon, we rented some kayaks, and we were doing some kayaking through these uh, canyons in Utah. And as we were heading back, uh, a storm in the sky was starting to form. And in this area, storms can, can pick up and come really quickly. And uh, we were still a couple kilometers back from where we needed to return the kayaks, and, this, and, and the lake started to the waves were getting very choppy. The wind was picking up. It took about three times the effort to, to go the distance that we needed to go, and it was scary. There was a few times where we almost tipped. Now, this is what is, what is happening to the ship, but it's, it's in like a ten times the amount of intensity. It says that the ship is threatening to break. The storm is so intense that the, the ship is almost about to explode or come apart because of the storm. And so the sailors know that something's up. They understand that this storm is, is not a normal storm. And, and we see that from verse 5. Verse 5 says, Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. See, the sailors recognize that this is a, a supernatural storm that has come. Storms are, I looked it up, storms are quite rare on the Mediterranean Sea, and storms of this magnitude are, are unheard of. And so the sailors understand that this isn't, isn't normal. They understand that someone, someone's God is angry at them uh, and that they need to cry out to their gods for deliverance from this. And so they start to uh, throw cargo off the ship and they start calling out to their gods, each one, uh, for deliverance. But the problem with the sailors and the problem with, with many people today is that they're calling out to a God who can't deliver. They're calling out to a God who can't deliver. The Bible says that all people know that God exists. Now, someone might say to you that they are an atheist, that they don't believe in God, uh, but the Bible says that God is, is clearly seen through his creation, that everybody knows that God exists. The problem is that people suppress the truth of God with their unrighteousness. So everybody is meant to worship, and everybody will worship. It's not a matter of of do you worship, it's a matter of who you worship. And for the sailors, they go and they worship these, these false and fake gods. In our world today, 
Uh, people who claim they don't believe in God, they still work, worship and, and, and seek after fake and false gods as well. Whether that be celebrities, whether that be money, whether that be, be comfort or ease in life or happiness or, or, or an individual in their life, everybody worships something and everybody cries out to something for deliverance. Everybody turns someplace in a time of crisis. But the problem is, unless you turn to the true God, you come to realize that none of those things can deliver you. And I think this is really where the Christian needs to step up. See, times of, of crises are the best times for Christians to step in with the gospel of hope. See, in the inevitable crises that we are going to face in our lifetimes, we want to, to use these opportunities to point people to the true God who delivers from both sin and death. People are, are, are crying out to these false gods, and we need to point them as Christians to the true God. But we see that's not what Jonah does. And so remember, the book of Jonah is pretty much uh, telling us, don't be like Jonah. So if Jonah does something, do the opposite, and then you'll probably be following uh, God. And so Jonah, Jonah, he doesn't do this. Look at the second half of verse 5. All the sailors are crying out, and this is what Jonah is doing. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So we see that the storm is raging on. These sailors are, are frantic, throwing off all their cargo, calling out to their gods. And where's Jonah? Jonah is snoozing below deck. Now what is going on here? How can, how can Jonah be sleeping at a time like this? Well, the passage doesn't tell us exactly how he's able to be sleeping, but I think we can infer that what the author is trying to do here is he's trying to contrast the, the behavior of the sailors and the response of the sailors, sailors with the behavior and response of Jonah. You see, the sailors are, are calling out to their gods. They're, they're taking cargo and they're throwing it off the ship. They're doing all that they can to keep this ship from going down. While on the other hand, Jonah is fast asleep. He doesn't really care much about the, his own life, the lives of, of others. And he especially, this is the key thing, he especially will not call out to his God for deliverance. And so once again, Jonah is being put to shame by these Gentile pagans. He's supposed to be the man of God. He's supposed to be the one uh, who cares for, for the lives of others. And yet he is the one being put to shame by these people who don't even know God. And this is shown to be true in the very next verse. Verse 6 says, So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us and we may not perish. And so the sailors notice that something is going on as they're calling out to their gods. They're up on deck doing all that they can and they notice that someone is missing and it's Jonah. It's like when uh, you have a big snowfall and, and your parents are like, all right, everybody out, we're going to go shovel the driveway. And as you're out there shoveling, sweating, uh, you realize that one of your kids or one of your siblings is still sleeping in bed while you're doing all the work. That's, that's what these sailors are kind of thinking. Where's Jonah? Like, can he not see that something is going on, that we need his help? And so the captain, he goes below deck and he says to him, and, and I can imagine him like shaking him like, wake up, you sleeper. What are, what are you doing? And then ironically, uh, in God's grace... Uh, he says the very same words that God said to Jonah earlier. So if you look back in verse 2, 
Uh, God gives two commands to, to Jonah. He says, arise, go to Nineveh. That's the first one. And then he says, call out against it. And then if we look down in verse 6, this captain says the same thing. He says, arise, and he says, call out to your God. And so we see here that God is, is really being gracious to Jonah to give him a second chance. Now the captain, he doesn't know that he's kind of being the mouthpiece of God here. He's just trying to, to hit some sort of target. It's like uh, the house that we're staying at, the dishwasher doesn't work. Well, it works, but there's some sort of formula where you have to hit certain buttons at a certain time. And so we just end up pressing all the buttons and hope that we hit the target somehow. And that's, that's kind of what the captain is thinking here. He's saying, call out to your God. Maybe it's the right God. Maybe he will save us. But God is, is using him, using this, this Gentile pagan, in order to give Jonah a second chance at repentance. He's saying, okay, Jonah, now I'm giving you another chance. Call out to me. Call out to me for deliverance. Turn from your sin. Say that you are, are sorry that you have disobeyed God, my word, and I will forgive you and will send you back on your way to Nineveh and you can obey the Lord. But sadly, Jonah doesn't do this. See, his own stubbornness, his own sin is the reason that he and all of the ship are going to perish. And remember what I said at the beginning of the sermon. There are only two options that God gives us with our sin. Is we repent or we die. And so since Jonah refuses to repent, therefore he must die. And so now as we enter into the next section, the storm still rages on. Jonah has, has failed to repent. It doesn't say that he repents when the captain says to him, call out to your God. And so instead, now we get taken kind of to a new scene. And um, we see that the sailors, they've devised a plan. They, they, they're trying to think of a way to get out of this. They've called to their gods. They've not been delivered because they're false gods. Jonah refuses to repent and call out to his God. And so now they turn to casting lots. Uh, verse 7 says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And so the plan, now that the sailors devise, is, is casting lots. Now, we might think this is a little bit odd. Um, I've actually heard that some churches today... Uh, we'll even cast lots to see uh, who the pastor is going to be, which is, I think, pretty interesting. I don't think there's much biblical precedent for that. But this idea of casting lots is actually not completely foreign to definitely the Middle East and definitely uh, uh, the Bible. In the Bible, they were given uh, Urim and Thummim in order to, to cast lots and to make decisions from. We see in uh, Proverbs 16, verse 33, kind of the idea of this casting lots. Uh, it says that the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. And so essentially God is, this verse is saying is that God is really in, in control of everything. So even things like casting lots, which if you think, what is the most random thing that you can do? Flipping a coin, rolling a die, and it comes to a number. It's, it's completely a matter of chance. But what God is saying in this verse is that even the most random thing, the, the most, most thing that seems like, wow, what a chance. That is, that is 
uh, a matter of God's control. God is in control over even the lot uh, and, and when it is cast. And so the men, they, they cast their lots, and because God is in control over the lot, it falls on Jonah. And I can imagine what Jonah is thinking as this is all going on. He's probably sitting there, kind of like with his fingers crossed, like, please don't follow me, please don't follow me. But God is not going to let Jonah get away with his sin. Remember, you can't run from your sin. Now, what I find is a little bit surprising is that the sailors, they don't really put two and two together here. I mean, they have this new guy on board, Jonah, that they've never had before. They have this storm that they've never seen before. They cast the lots, it falls on Jonah, and they still, don't, they still aren't sure that Jonah's the problem. And so they start to ask him all of these questions, and they actually ask him for advice, saying, okay, what should we do? The, the lot fell on you, what is it that we should do? You see, I think it's because the sailors have this sense that they need Jonah somehow to be saved. They need Jonah to be saved, and they're right. We know our story, it's only if Jonah repents that they will be saved. And the same is actually true for for many unbelievers today. See, unbelievers, whether they will admit it or not, they have a sense that they need God to be saved. God's law is, is written on every person's heart and condemns them for disobedience to that law, and it points them to their need for some sort of external salvation. That's why many people, when they go through difficult times or, or they, uh, they realize, you know, they've been in, in deep sin, uh, one of the places they'll go and look is come to a church. They'll say, I know, I know someone who goes to a church. I know that they have answers to these type of things, and they find themselves coming to a church. And we see in Jonah's case that Jonah's, he's not really prepared when these people come and look to him. But we as Christians... We need to be prepared when people who are hurting, when people see that they need something besides just themselves, something external to themselves, we need to be ready to present that salvation to them. 1 Peter 3 verse 15 says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. See, as Christians, we should be able to to share the truth of the gospel with unbelievers. I want you to think, if, if someone came and asked you, if they said, I'm going to die one day, how do I ensure that I make it to heaven? I know that I'm going to be judged. I know that I've sinned. How, how am I going to make it to heaven? What would you say to them? Would you be able to, to point them to Christ and the, the way of salvation? I mean, I encourage you to think about that. What, when, when hurting, scared, or wanting people come to you, do you have an answer that leads them to Christ and to the hope of the gospel. And if not, I'd, I'd love to help you work on that. I mean, maybe you're thinking, I, I want to share the gospel with my friends and my family or my coworkers, but I just know, don't know what to say. I mean, I don't know what to say when someone who's having a difficult time comes to me. How do I point them to the gospel for hope? If someone's, if someone's uh, challenging me on on what I believe. I don't really know why I believe it. I just kind of believe it because my parents believed it. You know, we can, we can grow in that as Christians. I think that's the first thing. We, we grow as Christians the more we study God's Word, the more we actually go out and engage in this type of activity, the more we'll be able to better give a defense, to the Lord, a defense of the Lord and a defense of our faith 
uh, in him and the hope that we have in the gospel. Now, we don't want to be like Jonah. Jonah wasn't prepared. We want to be prepared when people come to us. And Jonah here reveals uh, what, he, what he is really loyal to. See, when an unbeliever comes and, and asks you, what is your hope, uh, it really can reveal the idols of your heart. Now, if your hope is uh, that I just need to do good, or if you say to someone that their hope can be a life of ease and satisfaction if they come to the Lord, that reveals the idols of your heart. And we see this in Jonah in verse 9. They ask him all these questions, and he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And now you might immediately think, wow, Jonah, what a good answer. I mean, he still has his faith in his God. I want you to notice that by by first calling himself a Hebrew, the term, this was the term that they would use to, dis- to distinguish Israelites from non-Israelites. Uh, he uses that first before making it known the God that he serves. And in doing so, he reveals the idol of his heart. You know, for Jonah, his, his national identity, the fact that he is a Hebrew is, is, of what is, is, is of what is more, reveals what is of most importance to him. It's like what people will do today um, on Facebook or Instagram. You'll go to someone's profile and you'll see, it'll say like Christian, wife, mother, um, piano player, dog lover, something like that. And it goes kind of in order of, okay, what is of most importance to me? Well, then I am a Christian. And so we put that in the front. So when people first think of us, they think this person is a Christian. And that's kind of what Jonah is doing here. He says, first, I am a Hebrew. He defines himself nationally, then religiously. And that really points back to the whole reason why he's in this whole situation in the first place. His loyalty lies with his nation over his God. And we already talked about the irony in Jonah's response, the fact that he's trying to run away from a God he admits is the God of the sea and the land. But there's even more irony in his answer here. Notice that he says, he fears Yahweh. He fears the Lord. The same word can mean, mean worship in Hebrew. And as we see that, we immediately think, really? Really, Jonah, you fear God? I mean, if you feared God, why would you be running away from Nineveh and fleeing to Tarshish? I mean, do you really fear God? I think what we see from Jonah his whole life is that Jonah is a guy who who has all the right answers. He knows the word of God. We see that in, in Jonah 2. He's quoting Psalms as he's sitting in the, the belly of the fish. He's, he's all polished and bright on the outside. But we know the real story about Jonah. He might say to these sailors that he fears and worships Yahweh, but really, his life doesn't line up with his words. Jonah is the definition of a hypocrite. You know, he says one thing and he does the other. And hypocrites aren't just out there in the world. Jonah was one of the the people of God. He was in Israel. And so you can have hypocrites even within the church. Honestly, you might have even more hypocrites within the church. Jesus, when he deals with the religious leaders, uh, he calls them the hypocrites, not the tax collectors or the prostitutes. It's because they're claiming one thing, yet they're living another way. And we want to be sure 
that we are not like Jonah in this. I think we need to, we need to guard against this. Do we, do you talk the talk but not walk the walk? Do you look polished on the outside for everyone to see but inwardly are disobedient to God? Kids, do you obey your parents? Do what is right, behave when your, your parents are watching you? Uh, but then when you're by yourself, you go ahead and do whatever you want and disobey God? That's being a hypocrite. That's being like Jonah. We don't want to be like Jonah. We want to, when we say we fear or worship God, we want our lives to truly reflect that. And so then moving on, the sailors, after Jonah has said these things, that, that he, had, he worships this God of, of the land and the sea, the sailors now realize that, that they're in trouble. They're in trouble. This is not a good situation that they're in. And so look at verses 10 and 11. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Now earlier in the passage it says that the sailors were afraid of the storm. But then here, I think the author intentionally says, now they are exceedingly afraid. So a storm is bad enough. A storm when it is the wrath of God against sin is something to be exceedingly afraid of. And so they asked Jonah what it is that they should do. I mean, this is Jonah's God. He should know what the solution is. And we see Jonah's answer in verse 12. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So we saw that Jonah previously uttered the words, I fear the Lord. And so the question running through our minds is, will he realize the truth of his own words? Will he realize that, that the Lord he fears in this very moment requires his repentance? Will he realize that God is a, a gracious and compassionate God and will forgive him of his sins? Unfortunately not. Jonah says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Now Jonah, for all of his flaws, he gets one thing right. He knows that there are only two choices now. Repentance or death. And because the idol of his life is so strong, it has so hardened his heart, Jonah chooses death over a merciful God that he can come to in repentance. See, Jonah would rather die than submit to God. Jonah would rather sacrifice himself to his idol than to be obedient to the Lord. Now the question is, is that you this morning? Is there an idol that has taken the rightful place of God in your life. I mean, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. And because I love you and because I don't want you to perish, you need to listen to this. You have sinned against the holy God. And because of your sin, you rightfully deserve the wrath of God. You've lied, you have coveted, 
You have stolen. You have been angry at others and angry with God. You have lusted after others. You have used the Lord's name in vain. And you have done so much more to sin against the Lord God. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death and that you will bear the wrath of God. And just like Jonah, there are really only two choices for you. You can either die in your sin and bear the wrath of God for all eternity, or you can come to the Lord Jesus in repentance and faith, and He will save you from your sin. Do not harden your heart like Jonah. God has given you more than a second chance to come to Him. So let today be the day of salvation. Cast aside the idols of your heart, which cannot deliver you and only lead to death, and come to Jesus. Don't, don't be like Jonah. Don't choose death. Choose life in Christ. And if you are here and you are not, or, and you are a Christian, you also need to know that you are not free from the temptation of idolatry. Now, when we, are, when we are saved by Christ, it doesn't mean that the idols of our life are not there anymore. And so you need to ask yourself, has, has something other than God taken the place as ruler in your life? I was looking up uh, so I could better evaluate in my own life. How do you know if something has become an idol in your life? I mean, most of us are not bowing down to, to little statues or calling out to, to foreign or false gods. So how do we know whether we are falling into idolatry? First, it causes you to disobey God. Can you go back, sweetie, over there? First, it causes you to disobey God. An idol will, will lead you away from God. Second, it gives you greater joy than Christ. You find your joy in the idol rather than in Christ. Third, it gives you the most excitement about the future. Fourth, it's what you daydream about the most. Fifth, it's what you enjoy talking about the most. Six, it is what you fear losing the most. Seventh, it is what you love most spending your time and your money on. And then lastly, it is where you run in times of crisis. Christians are not free from idolatry. And the same choice that lies before Jonah also lies before us as Christians. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And he gives this long list and in that list, he says, idolaters will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so as it is the case for the non-Christian, it's the case for the Christian. We have two choices, repentance or death. Now we're going to see more at the end of the sermon when we look at the sailors, what repentance actually looks like. So keep listening. So Jonah refuses to repent, and in doing so, he chooses death. But lucky for Jonah, these Gentile sailors are more gracious and compassionate than he is. And so look at verses 13 and 14. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. See, the sailors, once again here, are outshining Jonah. 
I mean, they're not willing to see him perish, even though Jonah is completely fine with seeing the, the Gentile Ninevites perish. And so they try hard to row back to land, but they realize that the harder they row, the more the storm grows. And so they finally come to this same realization that Jonah has come to, uh, that we have come to, that there are only two choices. Either Jonah repents or Jonah dies. Jonah will not repent. He will not call out to his God, and therefore he must die. Now the irony continues, because here we see the, sailor, the sailors have told Jonah to call out to God. Jonah doesn't call out to God. And so the ones that finally do call out to the true God are the Gentile pagans, the idolaters, the ones who were previously blaspheming the Lord earlier. And this is really a rebuke against the people of Israel. Remember last week we talked about how Jonah really represents the people of the time. Uh, he represents Israel who is hard toward those who are outside of God's covenant. God called Israel over and over through the prophets to repent, but just as Jonah refuses to repent, so did Israel. And Jesus also talks about this, about his generation. He says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and they will condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. See, the Gentiles recognize their sin and therefore they recognize their need for a savior. And I think that's why the majority of the church today is not made up of, of Jews. It's made up of Gentiles. Because the Jews have been have been hardened. Their, their own sin and their own rejection of God has hardened them to the truth of the gospel. And so it's the sailors, the Gentiles, that call out to Yahweh for mercy. And then verse 15 describes what happens next, kind of the pinnacle of our story. It says, So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. And so Jonah is, is tossed into the storm that has come as a result of God's wrath. And then something really amazing happens. The waves cease. It's almost as if Jonah hits the water and all of a sudden the wrath of God is taken. It, it, it ceases. It ends. It ceases when, when the disobedient are punished as they should be. And so instead of all of them perishing, Jonah perishes and they all survive. In a sense, Jonah really becomes a, a substitutionary sacrifice for these people. Jonah bears the wrath of God, and they all live as a result of it. Now, you might know where this is going. The Bible is, is not a, a series of, of disconnected stories. All of the Bible is really pointing to one person, and that is Jesus. And the story of Jonah is no different Jesus says now, something greater than Jonah is here. Well, what is he talking about? He's talking about himself. The story of Jonah is a picture that points us to Christ, the true and greater Jonah. You see, just as Jonah realized that his death was the only way that the storm would stop, Jesus recognized that it's only by his death that the storm of God's wrath stops. Just as Jonah is cast into the sea of darkness and those who are near death are saved from death, Jesus is, is cast into the sea of darkness and save those who have already died and are dead in sin. Just as Jonah is by the grace of God spared from his death, Jesus by the grace of God conquers death and is raised from the grave. 
Just as Jonah's being cast out resulted in the Gentile sailors praising the Lord, Jesus' death results in someone from every single tribe, tongue, and nation being around the throne of God, worshiping the Lamb who is worthy. Jonah was cast out for his own sins. Jesus was cast out for the sins of others. Jonah had a small taste of the wrath of God. Jesus drank all of the wrath of God for those who trust in him. One who is greater than Jonah is here, and so do not harden your hearts to him. But the story doesn't end there, and this is where we'll finish. As Jonah is is sinking down into the depths of the sea because of his disobedience, the sailors are above water, breaking out in worship of the Lord. Verse 16 says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now this brings up the idea of what repentance actually looks like. The story has made it very clear that there are only two choices. We've seen where the first choice leads, and that is in Jonah's life. It leads to death, and now we have an example of where the second choice of repentance leads. And so what is repentance? We either repent or we die, then what does it look like that we repent? Well, we see three things about repentance from this passage. First, it is the truth of God that leads to repentance. Jonah spoke the truth to them about God, that God was the Lord of the heavens and the earth, and that he is the one, the only one that can deliver them. And so repentance, therefore, is rooted in truth. Our eyes need to be, to be open to the truth of God's word to see our sin and our need for mercy. You know, people can, can feel bad for sin. Remember there was a time in my life where uh, I was a Christian and I had stolen something. And I had felt so much shame uh, for what I had done. And I felt sick to my stomach. And, but I hadn't quite, and it was because I got caught, I hadn't, quite, um, I hadn't quite realized my, my guilt before the Lord in that. I, I felt bad because I got caught, not because I sinned against the Lord. And it was not until I, I was reading the, the truth of God's word that I actually realized more than sinning against these people, more than, than the shame that I have for being caught, I've sinned against the Lord. And I need to repent of my sin and make right what I've done. And so repentance is rooted in God's truth. Second, repentance restores God to his rightful place in our hearts, casting aside all idols. We see that the heathen sailors forsake their their false and foreign gods and they turn to worship Yahweh alone. And so repentance is continually doing this. It's, It's casting aside the idols of our hearts and keeping God himself on the throne. Jesus says in Matthew 10, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He says, anyone who loves their parents more than me is not worthy of me. He says, anyone who loves their son or daughter, their children more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now, what is Jesus saying there? Jesus is saying here that when we truly come to him, we come to him with him alone on the throne. We don't put our parents, we don't put our kids, we don't put our comfort, our entertainment, our spouse, we don't put anything else in the place of God, the throne of our heart. 
We need to repent. We need to tear it down and put Christ back where he belongs. And then finally, repentance gives rise to worship. The fruit of repentance is worship. A repentant heart will not just say, I'm sorry, God, and then go on uh, with their lives. No, repentance leads us to come nearer to God, to draw nearer to God, to turn from sin, and not just turn to nothing, turn back to God and worship Him. And so this is where our story ends for today. We see two different paths that people take. Jonah had the choice between repentance and death, and he chose death. The sailors had the choice between repentance and death, and they chose repentance. The same choice lies before all of us here today. And so what will you choose? Repentance and life in Christ, the the true Jonah, or your idols and the sin, which will plunge you into the depths of darkness and eternity in hell. My prayer is that all of us here would choose the former. So let's pray.